Uh, reading the Word of God as follows. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand uh, that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord, and may He bless it in our hearing. Uh, this morning, we'll be giving particular attention this morning to the verses 4 uh, through uh, 7 of uh, chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And Paul pauses, by grace you have been saved. And continues and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. Uh, beloved in Christ our Lord, I trust that most of you here have at some point in your life uh, seen a before and after photo I think probably the most common before and after photo is the one where on the left side you have this, um, we'll just call it somewhat overweight person, and on the right side is that same person after they have lost uh, 40 uh, pounds. Or sometimes actually the person on, on the left is kind of, uh, it's usually a male, uh, this kind of skinny male and then on the right side is this male who is now sporting this wonderful six-pack and is looking rather jacked. Now, as I, as I think about 
before and after photos, and maybe because it's the U.S. Open this weekend and I'm a fan of professional golf, I, I think back to, to Tiger Woods. Um, at the very beginning of his career, he was this skinny teenager. He was six foot two, um, and he weighed all of 158 pounds soaking wet. And then he, he hit the gym and... Uh, you know, in a, in a fairly quick period of time, he had put on a, another 25 pounds uh, of muscle. Uh, and speaking of golfers who put on muscle, I think of Bryson DeChambeau, who uh, underwent a transformation in the past year and, and is indeed someone who is rather uh, large and muscle-bound. And when you look at the before and the after photos, you will see uh, the, the difference. Now, if you're not into sports and you're not into weight loss and weight gain, well, maybe you're into home renovations and you're someone who took some pictures uh, of your home uh, beforehand and, and then some pictures of your home afterwards. And whenever we have these before and after photos, really there's just two goals uh, that we have in mind when we share those photos. Uh, the first goal is just to have the people who look at the photos say, wow, and that's, that's really impressive. Uh, it's really impressive that you used to be this skinny man and now you, you know, jacked and you got a six-pack. That's really impressive. Or, you know, yes, your home was ugly beforehand. No one ever told you that, but it was. And now, wow, you have a really beautiful uh, home. Or at the very least, you know, if you couldn't afford to do the whole home, wow, that's a, a beautiful bathroom because uh, your bathroom before was uh, in rough shape. The, the second reason uh, to have these before and after photos uh, is, is to motivate people, right? Uh, you know, you look at this person who, who's lost 40 pounds or, or gained 25 pounds of muscle, and, and you're motivated. I can do that, too. You know, I can, I can get a six-pack at the age of 49. Um, and um, so, you're, so you're, you're motivated by looking at these uh, pictures. All of this because in Holy Scripture this morning, uh, we're, we're in a before and after scene. Uh, on the left, as it were, uh, opening verses of, of chapter 2 of Ephesians, we have the before photo. And on the right, um, beginning at cha uh, chapter 2, verse 4, uh, we have the after photo. It's the, the before and after picture of the Christian. On the left side is the unbeliever. On the right side is the believer. On the left side is that person who spiritually dead. That person who was living in disobedience. That person who was following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That person who carried out all the desires, the passions of their sinful flesh. That's the before picture. And then on the right side is the after picture. It's the person who's spiritually alive. And the consequence of being spiritually alive is that you're walking in the good works which God prepared beforehand for you to walk in. <coughs> and what's most impressive about this transformation from, from death to life, and it is very impressive in terms of a transformation, and it is meant to have us sit back and say, wow. What's most impressive about this transformation is the reason for the transformation. Normally when we look at before and after pictures, uh, we, are, we are focusing uh, on the person. 
in the picture. You know, when you, you, you see that person smiling after having lost, you know, 40 pounds, or that person smiling after having gained 25 pounds of muscle, uh, then, then we go, not only wow, but we go, wow, that's impressive what you did. And, and the fact is, if, if, if you've accomplished something like that, that, that's impressive, and you've got something to boast about, which is why most people post these kinds of pictures, right? And we look at them, and we go, you've got something to be proud of there with what you did. But now with the Christian, not with this transformation from death unto life, that, that's not the result of something you did. It's not your own doing, says the Apostle Paul. It's a result of the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we come uh, to our text this morning, and we come to those marvelous words which remind us that the transformation that we undergo is not a result of what we do. It's a result of what God has done. And so we have this before picture, we have this after picture, and in between we have the two words, but God. But God. And so this morning as I preach to you from God's word, um, but God made us alive. And as we walk through the text, if, if you're someone who's helped by having kind of sub little you know, categories or points, um, I'll just use three words this morning to kind of focus our attention on the text. Uh, the first word's motivation, the second word is participation, and the third word is exhibition. So, but God made us alive, and the first word is motivation. So, but God, right there, Paul is reminding us there is no transformation apart from God. You don't go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive without God. Apart from God, the story of every human being is the same. By nature, that is coming out of the womb, every single person is physically alive but spiritually dead. And every person who is spiritually dead is deserving of the wrath of God. And we confess this every single time uh, that someone in uh, this church is baptized. We, we confess it even when the one being baptized is this wee little uh, child, this infant of believing parents. We confess even concerning our children that they are conceived and born in sin and therefore by nature, to use Paul's language from Ephesians 2, by nature children of wrath like the rest of humankind. Now, for, for some people, these are the only photos that exist of them. Photos associated with being a spiritually dead. Photos associated uh, with living out uh, the passions and the desires of the flesh as the prince of the power of the air is being followed and as the, the spirit uh, of evil is at work in uh, people of disobedience. But, but not for other people. For other people, there's other photos in their album. Uh, for the Christian, there's, there's other photos in their album. 
And as I was thinking about this, uh, I had a visit very recently to, to someone who um, took out a really old family photo album. And the reason they took out the family photo album is they wanted to share with me the pictures of uh, the day their mom and dad uh, were baptized. And it was a, a black and white photo, and it was really interesting because uh, they were down at the river and, and they were being baptized uh, there. Uh, this person's parents were converted uh, as adults and so received uh, the sign of baptism as adults. And as, as she's showing me the, the photo album, there happens to be on, on the same page um, photos of mom and dad partying. And she kind of realized the, <coughs> the contrast in, in that moment. And um, she looked at that photo and she said, you know, that's, that's mom and dad before. And that's mom and dad before. They were into the party scene. She said, my parents partied a lot. And she says, it's, it's a photo of, of, of them before they became Christians. And, and for some people, that, that's all there is in their photo albums. Just the equivalent, as it were, of, of the party scene photos. That's, that's all the photos that exist. Photos of walking in trespasses and sins. Now, we all have these photos, and, and, you know, we would be naive to think that we could just simply literally take photos out of the album and just show kind of the, the baptism and everything after photo. We all have these photos, but for the Christian, these are the before photos. <coughs> and that's why Paul, when he begins in chapter 2, begins in the past tense. He says in, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh. You were dead. You once walked. You once lived. And it's all in the past tense because God entered the picture. And, and Paul says he, he took us who were dead in our trespasses and made us alive. Right? But God made us alive. But you'll notice something in our text this morning. Paul isn't right, but God made us alive. That's the main verb, made us alive. And the subject is God. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes in between. And the reason there's a whole lot of stuff that goes in between is because Paul is reflecting on the motivation. Okay, there's my first word. The motivation of God in making us alive. What motivates God to enter into our picture, into our lives, and, and take us from spiritual death to spiritual life? And the answer is it's the character of God. And so Paul writes, but God being rich in mercy. And I love how Paul crafts that statement, particularly his use of the word rich, but God being rich in mercy. He could have said, but, but God being merciful. And you hear the echoes, I, I hope, of, of uh, the Lord on the mountain with Moses, revealing himself, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious. And, and, and Paul could have said just that, he, he's merciful. But he's, he's looking at these before photos and he's looking at these after photos. And 
He's recognizing that, that this is a God who is rich in mercy. And then as, he, as he's looking at, at this, he, he recognizes that not only is this God rich in mercy, that's his character, but there's this God, our God, is, in the words of the Lord himself to Moses, abounding in steadfast love. So, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So, the mercy of God towards the spiritually dead is rich. The love of God towards the spiritually dead is great. And I don't know about you, but when I think of the great love of God, I, I think of his love for me in the present, in the here and the now at this moment in my life. And, and I think to myself, it requires a lot, of, a lot of love on God's part to be in relationship with me. And, and it does. I'm fully convinced that it does require a great amount of love for God to love me today. But, but then I remember that today's the after. It's, it's part of that story of after. Today's after I've been made alive. And then I read these words about the great love of God. And I realize, well, Paul's talking about my before. He loved me with a great love when I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I mean, who can begin to fathom the amount of love that is required to love us when we're dead in our trespasses? To, to love us when the only thing we're doing is following the prince of the power of the air and that spirit that is now at work in, in the sons of disobedience. How great is the love that is required to love when we're busy following the passions of our flesh. But, but he did it. He did it. For it is in the character of God to do so. It's in the character of God to do this. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And, and then having revealed to us this motivation on the part of God, he comes to that main verb, the place where he's trying to get ever so slowly, but God made us alive. And he made us alive together with Christ. And then we're going to get to that second word, participation. For us to go from death to life, requires us to participate in Christ's death and resurrection. There is no transformation from death to life without participation in the death and life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we receive this reminder each time uh, there's a baptism. Right? We, we say that when we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises us that He unites us with Him, unites us with Him in His death and resurrection. 
And it's our participation in the resurrection of Christ that Paul draws our attention to in our text. But God made us alive together with Christ. What Christ experienced in his resurrection, we too have experienced through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we take a a closer look at this participation in Christ's resurrection, Paul says, we've got to stop for just a moment again. I know I just got to the main verb, but we've got to stop for just a moment. He says, I want to remind you of something. So you get the dashes right in the text. By grace, you have been saved. He's just begun to talk about this participation together with Christ. And he says, but before we go any further, by grace you have been saved. And earlier I said, as you look at before and after pictures, you know, those, the weight loss or the muscle gain, we're always, we're always impressed with the person. Our focus becomes the person in the picture and what he or she has done to accomplish this. And Paul takes the moment to say, not true of you, the Christian. The reason for your transformation from death to life is the grace of God. Paul doesn't tire of saying this. He gets back to it in the verse after our text, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And he repeats it because he doesn't want you to miss (coughs) the reason why there are after photos in the album of your life. It is all a result of the grace of God that there are other pictures besides the party scene pictures. It's a gift that you've been made alive together with Christ. It's a gift that as Christ's body was quickened in the grave by the power of God, so we too, together with Him, have been spiritually quickened. We have been made alive together with Christ. And now, after having paused to remind us that this is all by grace, he goes on to speak of the results or the consequences of being made alive together with Christ. Because this participation is not just a participation in what he experienced in that initial quickening in the grave. But as a participation in being raised up with Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And so I started our reading this morning in chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul begins to speak of his prayer for the Ephesian Christians. And he, among the things that he tells them he's praying for for them is that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Beloved, did you you know that God's immeasurably great power not only raised Christ from the dead, and seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places, but that that same power has done the same thing in us who believe. 
That same immeasurably great power has raised us with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. I think it is easy for us to think about the benefits of the the resurrection, ascension, and exaltation of Christ as something that is future for us. That just as Christ was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the Father's right hand in glory, so one day we too will be raised from the dead, ascended to meet Christ, and so share in the glory of His Father forever. And it's all future. And Paul says, it's also all past. We've already been raised up with Christ. We've already been seated with him in the heavenly places. All the tenses of the verbs in verses 5 and 6 are in the past. We've already experienced this so that it is a present ongoing reality. It is a present, ongoing reality that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And I realize that this is something we we can only see with the eyes of faith. And that with our physical eyes, we don't see. I mean, we're, we're, we're sitting here. We don't see ourselves seated up there. And because we see ourselves sitting here, we tend to also look at the world in terms of what we see here and now. And we can forget that there is a whole unseen world. That there are all sorts of unseen realities to our existence. Not just as human beings, but to our existence as Christians. And And if we pay attention to what we see with our eyes, we will recognize that there is an unseen world that is impacting the seen world. And I think now in particular of the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the the sons and daughters of disobedience. And I, I think of what Paul will later say in the sixth chapter about the cosmic powers over this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There are unseen powers at work in this world and there is is cosmic evil and and you don't have to open your eyes for very long to see the the evidence of cosmic evil. What else accounts for the wickedness? What else accounts for the violence? What else accounts for, for... the murder and, and, and the rape and the abuse and, and the immorality and the greed. There's a spirit at work in this world so that people do live in the passions of their sinful flesh, carrying out the desires of their sinful flesh and of their sinful mind. And, and we begin to see these things recognizing the unseen things that are behind them. And we sit here and, and we are told, but God made us alive together with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. And then we go back for just a moment to the prayer in chapter 1, where Paul says, Christ is seated 
far above all power and authority and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And then we come into chapter two and we come into our text and we say, we are there with Christ. We are right now seated with Christ. And that changes or ought to change our relationship to the unseen reality of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in this world and these evil forces in the heavenly places. And I want you to notice that. That there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But then go back to chapter one. Christ is far above and then go to chapter two and we are seated together with Christ. What's the end result? The end result is that we look down on all evil in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are above. With Christ, we are above the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Which is a reminder that these things no longer reign over us. A reminder of the past tense verbs of verses 1, 2, and 3. We're dead. Once walked. Once lived. No longer because those forces that once ruled over us compelled us, determined our course of action, are now beneath us because in Christ we are above these things. But God made us alive together with Christ. And because of that immeasurably great power of God, that raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places, we are now not only the recipients of a new life, but we are recipients of the ability to live that new life. And so we can and we must seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Colossians 3. And we can and we must press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3. And we can and we must walk in the good works which God has prepared for us beforehand to do, Ephesians 2.10. And these are the after photos of our lives. And each one of those photos belongs in a gallery as an exhibition. And that brings me to that last word, Exhibition which I know is kind of a, a bit of an odd word probably uh, this morning in, in the context of, of this sermon, but I hope it makes sense. And uh, to help the kids here with exhibition, I'll talk about the exhibition. And if you've lived here for any length of time, you know what the exhibition is. It's the Pacific National Exhibition. But hardly anyone ever calls it the Pacific National Exhibition. They call it the PNE. Uh, some of you know I grew up in this area, left for, left for 20 years, but I do have some, some good childhood memories of the P&E. And I'm a bit of an odd child. Um, my parents will confirm that for you. Um, I, I, I never enjoyed the P&E for the rides. Merry-go-rounds at the playground make me sick. So rides have never held much interest for me. But what held interest for me at the Pacific National Exhibition were the exhibition halls. And particularly, and I'm not saying this because of the setting this morning, I have no need to butter up to the farmers, but what, what really, really 
caught my interest as a child uh, were uh, the exhibition halls filled with animals. And you had, you know, you had sometimes you had kids from the 4-H club and they'd, they'd taken this, this uh, animal and they'd, they'd raised it uh, from, from a newborn and uh, they had brought it to the show because they were going to show their animal. And it wasn't just the kids, of course. Uh, adults get into these kinds of things too. And uh, again, it's about the wow factor, right? It's about the judges coming along and being really impressed uh, with your particular animal. And uh, so as a kid, I was always looking for, for which animal uh, got, you know, the first place uh, ribbon. Well, that's what an exhibition is. <coughs> an exhibition is a show. to show in which you're showing off. God's purpose in making us alive together with Christ is that in the coming ages, he might show and even show off the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So here we have the main subject, God, the main verb made us alive, and the main purpose to show off. In the coming ages, because, because time in this world is like a shoreline onto which breaks wave after wave after wave, and each wave represents another period of time, and each wave represents another age. And as Paul looks beyond his age to the ages that are coming after him, and he also then has in mind our age, he sees God in every age busy arranging all of these photos in his great exhibition hall, so as to show to whoever looks at the photos the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The whole, it's a whole mouthful of words there, isn't there? To show, to exhibit the immeasurable, you can't measure it, riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We, we stand in this great exhibition hall and we look at these photos <coughs> and then there's past photos in there and there's present photos in there. There's, there's before photos in there and there's after photos in there and remember the primary purpose of before and after photos? It's to say, wow. But of course the word wow can hardly begin to describe what we're seeing. For we are witnesses to the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And, and then we go into the hall, and the first place we always go look at is our own photos, isn't it? And we look at our photos in, in this great exhibition hall of our God, and we, and we, we look at our own life, and we see grace written all over our lives. Once we were dead, but now we are alive. And, and having looked at our photos and seen grace written all over them, we start to wander around and we go looking at the photos of others. And we see the same thing. Grace is written all over them once they walked 
in the passions of their flesh, and now they're walking in the good works which God has prepared for them to do. We look, and everywhere we look in this exhibition hall, we see the incredible wealth of God's grace expressed in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And, and, and we say, wow, as best we can. And one of the ways I think we can say, wow, is with Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, the benefits of his death, resurrection, and exaltation. Indeed, beloved, let us bless the Lord today, and let us bless the Lord always, for it is by his grace alone that we have been saved. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll sing from Psalm 103. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Grace which is immeasurable, grace which is rich, grace which is beyond measure. Thank you for your love, your love which is abounding, your love which is great. Love that came to us even when we were dead in our trespasses. And as we see who you are, and as we look at our lives, we recognize that there is only one reason that we have thus been transformed. It is your grace. Father, if there's anyone here this morning worshiping that has yet to experience the transformation that is moving from spiritual death to spiritual life, we pray that you would be pleased to also show them your grace, that they by faith might also participate in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.